0: Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, the podcast on belief and being.
1: This is episode 104. I just don't get it. It's like a thing that you don't get to say, first of all, but also you don't have to get it. I think it's really harmful to sort of like just not understand something rather than just accept that you don't understand something.
0: Lee Finke is a writer, producer, and editor. Her work focuses on religion and culture, and how both intersect with the lives of queer people in the United States. She has two new books coming out on August 25th, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, A Guide for LGBTQ Christian Teens, and Welcoming and Affirming, A Guide to Supporting and Working with LGBTQ Christian Youth. These two books are some of the best resources I have seen on this subject, not just for teens, but for anyone. I'm so excited to have Lee on the show today. Lee has worked in journalism, politics and policy, magazine editing, blogging, podcasting, advocacy, teaching, and academia. This trajectory represents Lee's lifelong love of learning, gathering new experiences, and interacting with diverse communities. In addition to her professional endeavors, Lee is passionate about LGBTQ advocacy, particularly as it relates to the many ways Christianity in the United States has been used to harm queer youth. She and her two kids live in St. Paul, Minnesota. I know i get like overly enthusiastic about every single guest that comes on this show and i use a bunch of superlatives pretty much in every episode so at this point y'all can't really trust what i'm saying but if you could trust me on this go out and buy these books right now that's all that's it just go do that Before we dive into the episode, just a quick little plug, I am hosting the first ever Beyond Shame Healing Day on Saturday, September 12th. There's going to be some more details about that later in the episode, around halfway through. I'll go into more detail there, but just to get that in at the start, this Beyond Shame Healing Day is going to be incredible. I would love to see you there. So listen for the details about that, and let's go ahead and dive in. Lee, hi, welcome. Thank you,
1: Matthias. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. So to start, the question I ask everyone, uh, how do you identify and how has your faith helped form that identity?
1: I identify as queer, as trans, as an author and a media producer and as bisexual. uh, You know, a whole lot of different ways. I, I think my identity is informed by a lot of things as a parent and as a co-parent. So that would be kind of like the sort of top-level identities that I sort of interact with on a regular basis. And I would say my how has faith influenced it in ways that are countless and innumerable and ways that are positive and negative. I would say, you know, Christianity as a faith has been as negative as anything. So...
0: Yeah, I would love to hear kind of some of the story behind that, the the as negative as anything. What has your journey been like?
1: I came out as a queer person pretty late, my 30s, after, you know, I mean, this is just the short version, but, you know, when I was 15. 15 was my critical year in, in my youth, and I've only recently started sort of excavating that year, but that was the year I got very, very close to coming out coming out as gay. There's no concept of trans where I was in the 90s and in the suburbs. But I didn't, you know, right at the last minute, I instead became an evangelical Christian. So that just led to 20 more years of not being out.
0: That's quite a shift from almost coming out to choosing or converting to evangelical Christianity. Like, what kind
1: of happened there? I guess I just got afraid. You know, I had had a group of friends, a group of women that I spent basically all of my time with. That would have been my, you know, sophomore year of high school. And one of them was a queer person. And I didn't know what my deal was, but I didn't feel normal. And, you know, just after a lot of time and building up towards thinking I might want to come out, you know, I also met these other like nice boys who are born again Christians and, and I was just too scared to come out to my family and and to the community that I lived in. I just didn't know what that would mean. So I just jumped ship from one group to the next. I never, I mean, I never saw that group of women again. We had a date scheduled to do a thing. I bailed on it, and I never reached out to them ever again. Yeah, it it was horrible. I mean, in hindsight, it makes me feel so ashamed that I did that to them. But such is life.
0: In some ways, like not to trivialize this story, but more to kind of normalize, like the sense of those regrets, those things that we do when we're in that kind of in between of, "Am I going to come out or not?" and the fear responses, uh, and the things that we do to kind of get away from the terror of what it would mean to actually accept ourselves. I mean, I know, I know, I had experiences of where I deeply regret some of the things I did to folks simply to kind of escape my own self in a way.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, again, looking back now and and having some context and some perspective, I also think that one of the things that kind of kept me from coming out as a gay person was that I wasn't a gay person. (laughs) That That wasn't the right concept. And I didn't have concepts, you know? I didn't know. There was no, like, understanding, at least in my life and in my family, of, like, gender, you know, let alone being queer. And if I felt a little stronger, like, oh, yeah, I'm a boy who's attracted to boy, I think coming out as gay might have felt more possible.
0: So when did you start kind of diving into gender?
1: Well, I mean, when, I, when did I start doing it consciously? You know, I mean, because I can also go back to that time in my early teenage years and see tons of queerness. <laughs> Tons of gender, Gender queering, and, and, you know, the transness is there. It's all over now. I see it. But it wasn't until I was, you know, I was about 35 years old when I sort of started having feelings for a person. I was married and I started having feelings for somebody and it just sort of grew and and I started admitting things to myself about myself and, and then sort of snowballed. So it was 20 years. It was 20 year gap with lots of like, you know, things happening in between there, but never really coming to the surface. So this 20 year gap
0: and then you use the word snowball. What happened?
1: Well, I mean, I basically what happened is I, I eventually got to a point. So so there was a boy named John and, and I basically fell madly in love with him. And I thought that's weird. But I was happily married and straight and it wasn't It wasn't um, something that really mattered that much to me. And then, you know, that would have been 20, you know, before the election, right? So back in the mid-aughts. And then, you know, a series of things happened in the world. One of the primary instigators for me personally was the Pulse nightclub massacre. That really sort of was a paradigm shift as I was starting to really begin to accept That I was bisexual. It was also a moment when I was like, "How can I not accept it?" So that was a major moment for me. And then uh, the current president's uh, election to office was kind of like the last straw. That through a bunch of other work that was happening, I had to, I had to come out. I had to like put my sort of cliche or whatever. But it's like you have to put your stake in the ground at some point, you know. And then I told my wife that I was bi, and then within a few months, I was sort of accepting my transness and, and and poking towards transition. And I was divorced. And yeah, this is just like, things moved forward from there.
0: Yeah, that is a snowball. That's like...
1: <laughs> I mean, when I think about it now, it was only a few years ago, but it feels like it was 100 years ago with how much has happened, you know?
0: What has changed since then?
1: Oh, I mean, what hasn't changed all of my relationships? You know, I, I think that most of the people that I was socially involved in, I remain having positive relationships with, but that was really hard. Uh, my marriage was a part of my like core identity, and all of my friendships were part of that, so that was a really difficult and hard thing to to survive and that that changed you know what in the period between coming out and getting divorced, my mental well-being changed my, my relationship to my Family and my friends changed at work. I had to, you know, coming out as visibly queer, there's like very little time to figure out how you want to interact with the world before you have to start talking about it. So it was kind of like everybody can see that something is happening. So they're going to ask or you're going to have to say something or, you know. So as that happened, disclosures started happening and then things just changed in every way, really. So
0: you, just a few years ago, coming out after that kind of 20-year gap, I and mean, you're publishing these two books now, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, and then The Companion that for, for Adults, Welcoming and Affirming. I'm so curious, what led you to writing slash editing these books? Because it's, it's not just you involved. like There's kind of a whole team of folks.
1: Yeah. The books kind of came to life in a way that was you know, a little different because I I work in publishing and media. So I have a separate and unrelated job in the company that also houses one of the imprints that's publishing these books. That's really kind of how I ended up as editor. But I wanted to make the Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, right? I wanted to make this book for teens. Essentially, what I wanted to do was create a book that if I was 15 and I was like, thinking about stepping out of the closet. And I got too scared. Like I wanted to give a book to someone in that position who would be like, you're okay. You're going to be okay. Who you are is perfect. Just keep going down the path. You believe you should go on. And that's what I tried to make. And I ended up partnering with a group of wonderful, brilliant queer people Largely from New York, because I wanted to get a pool of a lot of people to choose from in the, <laughs> one small space. And we spent a weekend, not a weekend, we spent three days together just kind of generating everything we'd want to say to those kids. And then I spent the next eight months writing the book. And then we decided to make an adult version as well. Since a lot of the research was done, a lot of the groundwork was done, I, I could write a, a sort of second version of it for adults who work with teens.
0: I mean, even like flipping through the kind of table of contents, like I feel my heart lurch in a way of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like there's so much in here that, I mean, as you say, like, I wish I would have had it at 15. Like, I mean, from, from I'm just going to read for, for listeners, some of the things in here, like, where do I find accurate information? What if people think I'm doing this for attention? you don't have to come out. What if my pastor or parents or anyone else tries to make me straight down to like how do queer people have sex or I'm really horny or I'm never horny. Like, I mean, there's, there's so much in here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it was like, I don't know if this is true, but I felt, I feel like I kind of am the person that I should make this book right now because of my Personal coming out story and how close I got, and then being able to reexamine like after having come out as an adult. So I still had to do all those things, and I still had to answer all those questions. And they were right here; they were right top of mind. Like I didn't know how to come out in different places. Like even though I was a married person with children, I still didn't. I still didn't have like the resource that was like thinking through the things and letting me know, you know, I spent a lot of time with IS, like, I probably got a brain tumor, right? That was a space I lived in for a long time. Because like, how can this happen when you're 35? If it hasn't happened by now, you're sick, right? Like, I just like, I still didn't have something that was just telling me like, no, this is real. And your, you know, identity is real and valid and valuable. So I got to kind of bundle all of that feeling and my desire to shelter and protect young people from the harmful side of Christianity, which is something I've been passionate about for years and years.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to get to that, that Christianity piece, but even as you were just talking about I mean, the reality of, of what you just said, like, I didn't know some of this stuff. Like, in some ways, and I feel like this even comes through in your writing, like, it feels like, and I wonder if you'd agree with this, but it, it feels like you're almost writing it for yourself as if alongside you know everyone else there's the youth side of it but even as i read it i was like oh my gosh like these are things that some of them i don't even know
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i definitely was writing it for myself and I, i think that because the world exists in a way that you have to make products for for demographics like this is a book for teenagers but i i certainly don't think of it as a limited resource for teens i think it's the kind of thing that anybody who's ever exploring their sexuality or their gender, or any other part of them that makes them feel like outside of their normative culture could benefit from that. I mean, I definitely think that's true. Yeah, I do too. Like, <laughs> like this book certainly
0: isn't just for teens. Like, it, this is one of those resources that I can think of countless people to just give it to, to recommend it to. And again, like I said, even for myself, like, it's it's incredible work. It's such needed work. And the Christian element, like, I mean, even in the in the title, Queerfully and Wonderfully Made, a guide for LGBTQ Christian youth. As someone who, like, I mean, you introduced yourself or that relationship with Christianity as being harmful. Tell me about this, the incorporation or, or continuing to stay within the Christian tradition. I mean, I imagine that's been a journey too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always been Christian adjacent, even since. So, I mean... The more I became clear about myself and who I was as a queer person, the less important it became to me to identify myself, like, spiritually and, and, and in other ways. And the book is for Christian teens, but language, that, even that language, I find a little bit frustrating, right? Like, really, I think of this as a book for people who are in Christian families, right? Because a lot of, I think a lot of young people may or may not be Christian. And just because their parents are Christian doesn't mean they are. And they may be very committed to their faith or they may be just sort of like waiting it out until they go to college, just like it they are with their queer identity. So there's, there's like that part of it. But there's also the part that's like my Christianity was a major part of my life for about 15 years, starting when I was born again, right before I turned 16. And a lot of it was good to me, and a lot of it was helpful, and I have very fond memories of many of the times I had in churches and with church communities, but I think at this point in my life, it's hard to see my relationship to Christianity as something that wasn't primarily a closeting tool. Like, the decision is so identifiable to me now as, like, a way for me to hide my true self. And that's not necessarily the fault of of the faith itself but it is the nature of my relationship to that faith
0: is it something you still identify with or how would you kind of describe the movement of your spirituality since coming out cuz i mean you've mentioned it's changed significantly
1: yeah I, I i mean i stopped identifying as a christian about almost 10 years ago and i remember doing that i remember thinking to myself i was in, i mean i can remember this moment of being in the car and driving and thinking about this, and, and thinking about the people who I love who are Christians and who take that as a word and as a life value that means something in their lives. And then just thinking, like, yeah, that, this isn't what this means to me. You know, like it kind of felt like I was doing a disservice to those people for me to continue to fight to, to put myself in the same category. And it just became like loose. That was, like, kind of like a—I was able to sigh a little bit about, like, okay, I don't need to worry about, like, what this means, you know? And since then, yeah, I've I've always kind of, like, lingered around the edges, the edges of the space of Christianity. And I work for a Christian company. I have Christians all over my life, and I love them. But no, I mean, I don't identify now as, as Christian. I still have faith in the spiritual sensibility, but—
0: So when I was first working on my book, I had this dream of going around the country and working with folks in full-day events to help them start healing their sexual shame. Then COVID hit, that dream flew out the window. But the other day I was thinking, why not do it online? then everyone can come. I'm hosting the first ever Beyond Shame Healing Day on Saturday, September 12th. If you want to have a healthy relationship with sexuality but feel you need healing from religious sexual shame, this day is for you. Using the framework in my book, in this full-day interactive workshop, I will help you identify the particular coping mechanisms you use to manage shame. Then we'll speak truth to the lies you've been told about sex and sexuality, and finally build a framework for understanding your own sexuality so you can find health. This day goes much further than my book, giving you practical tools and a bunch of new material. There's a guest teacher I'm super excited about, and plenty of guided time for writing, reflection, and small group work with other participants. So if you want to get a handle on shame, register today at matthiasroberts.com healingday healing day. Early bird prices are ending soon, so again, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash Healing Day for all the details. And I want this workshop to be available to everyone, so there's scholarships available. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me, and we'll get you set up. I can't wait to see you there. All the details, MatthiasRoberts.com slash Healing Day. Let's do some healing together. You mentioned that sigh tell me if this is true but i'm imagining it's like a sigh of relief
1: yeah i think i got to a point eventually where like maintaining my faith was becoming work and i didn't know necessarily who it was for and i could see the people like i was saying the people who did uphold that as something that meant a lot and i thought yeah don't worry so much about this <laughs> and it was a really it was relief
0: yeah that makes so much sense i i think i, I mean i know in my own story especially for me right after coming out, there was this period of say probably at least five years where so much of my energy was going towards proving that I was a Christian, <laughs> like to other people, not even to myself. And and it, there came to a point of where just even letting go of that, that need to prove something. I mean, certainly not I'm not trying to say this is the same story as yours, but like that—that that letting go, that sigh of relief, that like, oh, I don't need to be putting all of my energy into this. There's a lot of freedom there. Yeah,
1: and I mean, there there was a lot of freedom for me, and there was also a lot of like, you know, at the time, I guess my thinking about the world was also just like broadening so dramatically, and there was a sense in which like caretaking for my f- not my spirituality, but my like religiosity just became kind of like unnecessary compared to the things that I was thinking about. And it seemed to me at the at the time, you know, and there's a lot bundled into there, but it seemed to me a little bit like, yeah, this is just an effort that doesn't seem to be doing good for you, but also for anyone else, you know. There's been so much that's happened in the world in the last 10 years and like I've learned so much and I've have grown in so many ways. And that one just seemed kind of like not one of the important ones for me.
0: You mentioned a a few minutes ago that reality, though, that there are so many queer kids who are growing up in kind of Christian or faith-based families, whether they identify as Christian or not. And I mean, that brought to mind a statistic that I've seen years ago, but then it just recently came back on my radar from like a it was a 2008 study by the, the National Report on Church and Youth, or something like that. And in 2008, they reported that 85% of queer people grew up within church, grew up going to church regularly, as opposed to 75% of kind of the larger U.S. population, which is just mind-blowing to me. But this this idea that even among queer spaces, there's such a familiarity with harmful or toxic religion, And in some ways I see this book, but also, and I I would love to talk about this too, but the the companion, the the guide for youth and church leaders (laughs) as being an antidote in some ways to toxicity.
1: Yeah. One of the things I try to stay really, really conscious of when I'm talking to or about young people is that like again, I I was I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis. I was born in the early eighties. So where I lived, there was no such thing as like affirming churches. That wasn't a thing, at least that I knew about. There very well could have been, but I didn't know gay people and or where they went to church if they did. Not that I was aware of. And now I just I feel like there's been such a landscape change in the church environment around LGBTQ affirmation that I have a bias that may not exist for a lot of young people, just who who are growing up in Lutheran churches or Episcopal churches or, you know, I don't know what, what it means to grow up in a place where you are encouraged to be yourself, frankly. And I'm so happy and grateful that those places exist. But it also remains true that very large swaths of the Christian faith are not affirming. And You know, you cited that statistic, which I think is really interesting, especially when I think about some other research, which you'll find in Welcoming and Affirming, about just like how many young people are identifying as not straight or not cis, right? If you ask people, are you straight, you'll get a lot higher numbers than you'll get if you ask people, are you LGBTQ? And the numbers are so high, something like 20%, that every church just needs to be equipped to be prepared for those moments when they have young people. Like, every single church is, should expect to have at least a handful of queer young people who come through their doors. And that's kind of what I think about with welcoming and affirming. It's like, no matter who you are, this is a book that's not doing apologetics. Neither of these books are. I'm not interested in arguing for why queer people are humans. I'm interested in helping people accept who they are, or helping Learn how to accept people, and and that's something that welcoming and affirming hopefully can help some people do. Which is like even if like one of the pieces of advice in that book is like be prepared to tell a young person they should find a new church. That's something that I think we should be able to ask for for pastors to do. It's like this isn't a good environment for you. That is a way to love kids.
0: Yeah, again, just like the, the queerfully and wonderfully made uh, this welcoming and affirming book. Like there's so much in here. <laughs> like, how do I know they aren't just looking for attention? Is it possible this is a phase? How do I find an inclusive sex ed curriculum? How do I respond when someone comes out? What if there are no queer students in my youth group? Like, so many of these questions that I feel like, even even as I've interacted with with faith leaders, like, who are relatively competent, these questions come up. These fears come up. And this book kind of addresses so many of them with, I mean, what I think is really good advice.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. No, I mean, I, I think I should be clear about who welcoming and affirming is for, because it's not really for that pastor. I mean, my my audience, when I was writing those answers, wasn't necessarily the pastor who was going to send kids elsewhere, because that pastor is not going to pick it up, or they'll have barriers to picking it up. Maybe they will. But it's for the person who says, yeah, it's for the church. It's for the church whose perhaps denominational teachings are affirming, but they just have no clue how to talk about a trans child joining their group. They have no idea what to do about like a lock-in. They're just terrified of having one kid who might be queer and then having to move forward without tokenizing that person, without alienating that person. So that's who I'm really trying to, like, reach. It's like equipping that person and and knowing what they can say to parents and what they can say, you know, what it means to, like, have a confidential conversation with a person. Yeah, that kind of space of your heart's in the right place, but you have a lot to learn. I know I just said this a few
0: minutes ago, but, and I'll say it in a little bit of a different way, but I I feel like this is, like, some of the most comprehensive resources I have ever seen. (laughs) in these spaces it's you said this a few minutes ago like kind of the we're living in a completely different world right now than even like 10 years ago 15 years ago of where resources like this are even being published by mainline kind of publishers like the fact that this exists is a big deal
1: i think so i mean Thank you for the compliments, and I do. I did want to make something that was as robust as possible and could meet as many needs as possible. And again, it's because I think you can't count on people getting more than one LGBTQ-related book in their church library, right? I mean, hopefully there will be a ton of them, but you can't know that will happen. And things are different, and there are a lot of there are a lot of handbooks for queer youth. And there are workbooks and, you know, there's a whole space there. But that Venn diagram of like, you know, the dominant religious force in America and queerness, I think there's a lot of work that we need to do. And, you know, you have a great book that's working there. And Emmy Pegler has a great book that's working in there. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But this is the first of this kind of book that I've seen. And I'm glad. I'm happy to have been in a just happened to have been in a position professionally where I had an opportunity to make it real.
0: So thinking about like, and there's going to be kind of two of these questions, (laughs) thinking about the maybe 15-year-old self or the 15-year-old who's listening to this show, who kind of is in a non-affirming space or in a maybe subtly affirming space, who's thinking about coming out. It's a weird question because you literally just wrote a whole book about it. But What would you want to say to them right now?
1: Well, I would ask them to think a lot about what they want to say and who they want to say it to and put their own well-being first and realize that they don't owe anybody anything. And it's really powerful to be able to come out and to be able to be recognized for who you are, but it's not a necessity. And, you know, you have to do what's best for you. And I would say that you're the one who knows what that is. One of the themes I, want, I kind of wove through queerfully was just like, nobody else knows you the way that you do, including your parents. And if your parents are not affirming, then you don't have to come out to them. That's like a level of permission. Yeah, that's the right way to put it. That's what I want. I mean, that's what I didn't have was a sort of authority in myself, a confidence in my own ability to see myself. And I didn't have somebody there saying, yeah, it's okay. You are who you think you are. You don't have to search for justifications or causes.
0: And then for like, I mean, there are a lot of allies, youth pastors, pastors who listen to queerology. Like, what would you say to them who are trying to do this work or trying to do this work better?
1: Well, I would tell them to buy my book. Yes. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, second, that's the most important piece of advice. But then the second piece of advice, no, I would say it. You really have to acknowledge the primacy. I mean, it's the same piece of advice just for an adult. Like, these young people know who they are and and you don't know. And, you know, this is especially for genderqueer, trans, and non-binary young people. You don't have to actually try to understand. This is something I really want to, like, shout to the world. (laughs) But, like, I just don't get it. It's like a thing that you don't get to say, first of all. But also, you don't have to get it. I think it's really harmful to sort of like just not understand something rather than just accept that you don't understand something. This is something I've talked to a lot about as, a, as I came out as trans and as I accept my own trans identity was that other people are never going to sort of be able to cover the intellectual mental gap of like transition. And why would they? They shouldn't expect to, but you also should never expect a child to be able to fill that gap for you.
0: And I'm curious, like, do you think there's a flip side to that? Because because I'm thinking of like the couple times where I've seen pastors or allies who in some ways they do know more, No, like in, in quotation marks, do know more than the people that they're interacting with, which is a different kind of dynamic, that sense of like, I've read and studied this so much and and this kid hasn't. What about kind of that dynamic? Because sometimes a lot of assumptions can be made in that space <laughs> that may not be particularly helpful.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think it's, there's a category of people that I like to call the over-identifiers. And this is allies who consider themselves one of the in-group. And I don't know if that's who you mean, but I think about those people a lot who, who really are well-educated, who really are helpful and, you know, live, walk the walk. When it comes to LGBTQ um, sort of advocacy and 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 allyship, and I suppose there are many many pastors who are who probably qualify in that. And I think it, I think it's easy to over identify and fill gaps for a young person that they haven't yet filled for themselves, or answer questions that they haven't yet asked for themselves. And don't do that. Avoid doing that. Always remember the child as the right to be themselves and figure out who they are and and don't tell them anything about who they are. I mean, don't tell kids anything about who they are.
0: Yeah. I mean, that feels like a a very key point of like, even if it seems obvious (laughs) to name that for someone before they're able to say it for themselves or figure it out for themselves, like that can be a level of harm.
1: For sure. And I think it leads people... Again, like, I only know my story. I lean heavily on it. And it's like, when I was 15 and I was going to tell my parents that I was gay, I was then a boy who was dating a girl. And it was like, this isn't right, but I don't have anything else. And the only option for people like me is being gay. And in sort of like, I filled in a gap that I didn't have enough information to fill in for myself. And it led me into a place where I would have much rather not gone in hindsight. Now, of course, that's a different experience, but it's the same kind of thing. It's, uh, you know, it's like by erasure, right? It's like, well, you're probably on the road to gay, kind of like filling in the holes. How can people find your work? So I am on the internet. You can find me at, at Lee Finke, L-E-I-G-H Finky, on Twitter and on Facebook and on LeeFinke.com. Yeah, I do a lot of tweeting. I like Twitter a lot. And, and at my website, you can contact me for whatever reason you might have and where can people buy your books you can buy my books anywhere uh books are sold that's you should be able to pre-order it at whatever bookstore you like to shop at including amazon but you shouldn't buy it there unless you have to (laughs) yes all your local bookstores are also delivering books
0: well thank you so much like both for this conversation but also for the work work that you're doing with these books like I, i don't want to sound like over-congratulatory or over-compliment... I'm blanking on what that word would be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You'd be as complimentary as you want. Great.
0: But but seriously, when I say that these books are, like for me, they're going to be a go-to as far as recommendations for not just youth, but for anyone. You have done really good work here. Uh, so thank you thank you
1: so much for saying that it's really lovely to hear and thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast so great this is a great resource thanks thank you
0: you can find lee on twitter and facebook at lee Finky, or over on her website LeeFinky.com. be sure to go pick up a copy of both of these books queerfully and wonderfully made and welcoming and affirming wherever you buy books Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from its listeners. In fact, it's made possible with support from its listeners. To find out how you can become an active listener and keep Queerology on the air, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. Another really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all, bye!